out Casino Road is all the relationships that get built outside of just what happens in this room on a Sunday. And Sarah has been a tremendous part of what is happening here. If you like the room, do we like the room? Are we liking the room? All right, so Sarah's been a huge part of that. Give her a hand for that. Um, tirelessly working with multiple entities, probably 10 or 12 different organizations that use this space and other spaces on a regular basis. Uh, Sarah has gone above and beyond to take care of us over the course of the summer, making sure we always had somewhere to meet, communicating with us very effectively on uh, over, overruns in terms of just time, and uh, was gracious and helped us get back in here. So we just want to thank her for that. Uh, Sarah's part of the Connect Casino Road Collaborative, and she's going to tell us a little bit more about that. But first, I want us to get to know her uh, a little bit as she desired to come and welcome us home uh, to just tell us, Sarah, a little bit more about yourself and how you ended up here on Casino Road? Well, to start, thank you so much for having me here today. And I know this is your second weekend back, is that correct? So welcome back to your home. Um, And then thank you for all of you for just um, the flexibility you've shown in in being able to be all over the place and on the road, um, as Pastor Chris said, for the past several months. Um, With all that being said, we're just so happy to have you back where you first started and where you belong. So I hope the space is working for you. We're going to have a finished kitchen by Wednesday is what they tell me, but they've told me that before. So we'll see. Yeah. First time managing a construction project and it's a learning curve, right? Exactly. Um, so as far as I, how I got connected to Casino Road, um, it's a little bit of a long story, so I'm going to try and make it a little bit shorter. Um, but it all started when I, I, I grew up in this, in Snohomish County. My parents still live in the same house I grew up in about 10 minutes from here. Um, and then I graduated college and I was living in Edmonds and, you know, when you graduate college, you're, you're looking for a job, really any job, anything to pay those student loan bills are coming every month. Um, so I wasn't sure what I was going to do. And I ended up getting connected to a, a Head Start low income preschool in the Beacon Hill neighborhood of South Seattle. Um, instantly fell in love with the work and that I was working with immigrant families, refugee families every day. Um, but had this kind of nagging discomfort with being the person that went into this community to work and left it every day. And I didn't have any connection to the community. I hadn't grown up there, didn't have family there. So I kind of just felt like this outsider was going in and leaving every day. Um, So I started thinking, well, maybe it would be my best interest to start looking at jobs in at least the county and the area that I grew up in. So I started applying for jobs and um, ended up teaching for the Goodwill that's over on Everett Mall Way. Um, and teaching English as a second language with adults. Um, I taught all over the county, and one of my classrooms was right across the hallway from us here on Casino Road. Um, And I felt a lot more comfortable teaching here because these were restaurants and businesses that I frequented. This is the school district I went to. My mom, you know, was at Explorer Middle School down the road for 20 years. So I felt like, okay, no, I didn't grow up on Casino Road, but this this feels much more like my community um, than South Seattle did. So... I taught here for about two years, and then in that course, um, discovered a couple of things. One, um, I got really frustrated with how difficult it was to serve the families that were in my class. Um, I think many of us know there's a lot of families here in this community that have a lot of needs, um, and I would spend my spare time, you know, evenings and weekends trying to make sure they got connected to health care, got connected to housing, got connected to whatever that thing it was they needed for their family to thrive, 
And it was so hard. The right hand never knew what the left hand was doing. You know, you got a number. Turns out that person doesn't work there anymore. She tried a different number. And like, this is so hard for me. English speaking, master's degree, you know, grew up here. How hard must this be, you know, for a family that's been in this country for three months? Um, so I discovered that. Um, and then I also discovered that while there are these really cool pockets of collaboration and partnership that we saw right here at the village, um, there were also times when I, mean, I taught here for two years and didn't know Hand in Hand existed. I taught here for two years with a, a child care that didn't know Child Strive existed. Child Strive is one of the leading child or child support agencies like in the region. And we had this classroom of you know, babies and young children that weren't being served by this organization literally across the street from us. Um, so it's hard getting frustrated with that part. Um, and then fast forward two years and this opportunity came up. A local foundation was trying to, to fund some collaborative work in this community. And I think a really important thing to realize is the funder came to this community to support collaboration, not because they saw a lack of collaboration, but they saw such a heart for and a history of collaboration and partnership in the community. They said, wow, these are some really strong roots and seeds that we need to help water. So I, you know, I submitted an application thinking, no, there's no way. Um, here I am, lo and behold. Um, and this collaborative is called Connect Casino Road. And what we're really trying to do is come in and support the organizations that we know have partnership and collaboration and support in their hearts, but not always the time and resources to do it, because let's be honest, most of us can't accomplish the things we want to do for our community in the, you know, the 40 hours of work week that we have. Um, so I became the director of that organization. Our goals really are how are we bringing um, people to the right places to build relationships that in the end can really support the families and community that call this, get the call Casino Road home. Yeah, thank, and thank you for answering the call as well and coming back and, and doing that to pave way for so many organizations that are wanting to work here well. So um, tell us a little bit more about Connect Casino Road. I guess you did a little bit there, um, but uh, anything else that you want to share about Connect Casino Road or even just some things you you'd want South Everett Foursquare to know about their part of the partnership? So Connect Casino Road kind of has their... Fingers in a lot of pies, so to speak. We're new. We've been here for two years, so we're still learning and forming relationships. But I'll kind of focus on just the physical space that we're in today because that's really um, such an important part of, I think, this group's conversation today. And it's honestly a really big um, focus for us right now. So as I, I mentioned, you know, this space has been a place where people have come to uh, form relationships, to access services for over 20 years. Um, so even though a lot of the space has been used for you know, administrative office buildings. This has been a place for a long time. It was Little Red for a while and Child's Drive and the village. It's had a lot of different names, but there's just a history of this being a place where families come. Uh, it's a place they trust. So uh, in 2017, this collaborative, you know, we had some seed funding available to us. And we were asking the question, you know, how, do we, how are we being good stewards of these resources we have? Um, and we knew in order to be good stewards, we couldn't make this decision, you know, unilaterally of we're going to we're going to do this for this community. So we said we, we really need to go out into the community and ask if we have these resources, like how should they be used? What's that, what's that first lever that we're pulling that's really helping families thrive here? Um, so we spent about six months doing you know, community surveying, going to all these different groups, uh, going to national night out, going to partners and asking, you know, what is it that this community really needs? And um, 
the thing that really surfaced out of that over and over again is we need space. You know, if, I'm, I'm sure in the past couple months, as you guys have been meeting across this community, you've seen that you drive up and down Casino Road and it's apartment building, apartment building, apartment building. There's not so much as a coffee shop to meet up on Casino Road. Um, so there was just a lack of, of public space, space to go to meet and to gather and to form relationships. Um, there are a lot of needs in this community, so the idea of a, a one-stop shopping place for resources and services surfaced a lot. Um, and we knew that this was a space that was already trusted. People felt safe coming here. People already had familiar faces they trusted. Um, so we kind of asked the question, is it possible that we could take the really good things that are already happening here and just take it to the next level? Um, so in partnership with Child Drive, who is the owner of this building, um, they volunteered to self-evict themselves, their, their administrative offices from this space. They said, you know, our finance department can be anywhere. It doesn't have to be here. So we've been working with them for uh, almost two years now to uh, move those offices out um, in order to create those pockets of partnership and make them more intentional in this space. So the idea is to take offices out, create more gathering space, more multi-purpose space like this one, um, so that we can have churches here on Sundays and sewing classes here on Tuesdays and Zumba here on Wednesdays, you know, whatever it is, really creating space for two things. One, for the really wonderful organizations and partners we have here to be able to better serve their community. And two, and this is almost the most important one to me, for the community to have a space for them to come, right? Form relationships, have a baby shower, have your child's birthday party. Our, the sewing classes I mentioned are actually put on by folks that live in this community. Um, so really create space for community to come and build those relationships and build a stronger community. Awesome. Thank you, Sarah. And thank you for taking the time to come and join us and be with us here today. She had said, she had said months ago, well, when you get back in, I'd love to have you come welcome us back. And, and I said, yeah, come and do it. And, uh, we meet here with the, the Casino Road, Connect Casino Road Collaborative once a month in a big circle. And uh, was here for uh, uh, five dimensions of equity training in this room on Friday with about 50 partners from all over the place to just figure out how do we become one community. So thanks for all your work and for coming on your weekend and being here with us. series covering five different core values and behaviors of Eastside Foursquare, not Eastside Foursquare, that's a hearkening back to where I came from, South Everett Foursquare, but really it's just one church. So uh, at the end of your aisles, if you would grab one of these or pass them down if you're at the end of the aisle, uh, this pamphlet, this brochure, we're going to cover two values today. I'm going to cover one and mention the other because I talk about the neighborhood a lot. But today we're going to talk about a core value uh, called diversity of people. That's a core value of South Everett Foursquare has been defined over the course of the last year by the leadership team of this church. So if you would please just flip, if you flip the brochure open, you'll be staring right at that value, diversity of people. And then again, like we did last week, just put it aside. Don't get overwhelmed or uh, um, inundated or distracted by that right now because we're going to just continue right into it. As Danessa said this morning, as she articulated so well during our call to worship, that this series at our core is designed to aid us in our pursuit. We're unpursuing something here. Our pursuit to align a couple things, which is to bring into focus and to bring into a clear direction and a path. We're going to align what we believe about God and what we believe about our identity as his children. So those things, what do we believe about him? 
What do we believe about who we are in him? We want to align that with how we choose to behave as his disciples. That's so critically important for anyone, but specifically the church, is that if we are going to articulate a belief, if we are going to have a conviction, we better well live by it to the best of our ability. And when we fall short, to confess that shortcoming quickly and humbly. That's one of the biggest frustrations about the church as a whole is we don't practice what we preach. We don't practice what we preach. That's a, that's a common refrain when people think about the church and it gives, I would say, just cause at times to dismiss the message of Jesus because his disciples don't look like what they say they want to look like. And so it's important that the why, the how come behind what we do and what we believe is grounded in the word, grounded upon the word as has been given to us and breathed and empowered by the Holy Spirit, that everything that we do should align with the word somehow. And if it doesn't, we need to check that again. Last week, we dove headfirst into our values centered around living in sacred relationships. Sacred relationship is all about modeling what Jesus did concerning moving towards other people at all costs. That's what this faith is about, moving towards people at all costs. Whatever it takes to reach people with the hope of the gospel. This week we're going to explore our core value concerning the depth and the richness that exists within all of God's creation. That is diversity of people. And we're going to take a look at this. We're going to read it. It'll be up here for us. Uh, This is diversity of people. We seek the development of a diverse congregation reflecting the diversity of our community. We value a culture that is informed and influenced by a multitude of ages, ethnicities, socioeconomic, uh, educational, and experiential backgrounds. We are a people who collectively understand that our greatest common denominator is a spiritual poverty remedied only by the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Diversity of people. When we go back to Genesis chapter 1, And I'll say this before I get into this, that what I have today to offer concerning diversity is only a piece of the pie. I want to communicate that because as well, I am different than others, but I'm one piece of diversity. It's important to get many voices involved in the conversation. And so I approach what I have to offer today with great humility uh, because it's not the whole picture, but it's the best that I've been able to articulate and pull together as I've talked with friends of mine from different backgrounds uh, and different experiences. But when we go back to Genesis chapter 1, we know that before sin was introduced into the world, that God had created everything. That's where the story of the gospel starts, or the Bible starts, it isn't just with sin, it's with the beauty of creation. And what he created is remarkably diverse. He called what he created good. And then God created mankind with a deep capacity for creative expression. That was one of the things that he gave to us. We were created in his image to do stuff like that. To, to paint and to draw and to sing and to write and to express. This has taken on breathtaking uh, diversity throughout time and across the globe where God says, go and do what I have done create. It's happening beautifully in our community 
Back in the spring, there was an event hosted by Leadership Launch, which is another local partner who's a part of the Connect Scene Road Collaborative. And they did an event in the spring down in Muckleteo called We Are Culture. They pulled students together from Everett School District and Muckleteo School District and Kamiak and Cascade. In Mariner High School, and all of these places where sometimes there's a little bit of us and them, and a little bit of tension about the haves and the have-nots. And Rachel Kittle and her team brought everyone together to say, we can express creatively. And so there's this, uh, this dance called the Habare Tapitio, which is one of the most traditional Mexican dances, and it was beautiful. And this went on for 10 10 minutes, maybe all different expressions of people dressed in beautiful, colorful, vibrant garb, dancing and moving in rhythm and in coordination with one another. This sort of creation is beautiful and it exists right here. God does it all over the world, this kind of creation. It's a beautiful thing that God created. We learn that in Genesis 1. In Genesis 3, we learn something else about diversity, and it's this, that sin has the power to divide and to destroy. There's a creative element, and then there's a decreative, a deconstructive element. We see creation in chapter 1 of Genesis. We see the beginning of the destruction of relationship and creativity and diversity in Genesis chapter 3, because at its core, sin puts the individual at the center of the story. Wouldn't you know it? That's exactly what sin does. It puts me first above everything else. It introduces the fear of and animosity towards that which is different than me. Sin celebrates comparison. A propensity to see different as less than or more than. We want to make these comparisons to say one is better than the other. It tempts us to celebrate and then elevate ourselves while forgetting the other. That's what sin is trying to do to destroy what God has given us through creation, the beauty of diversity. Does that make sense? So I'm a sports fan, a local sports fan, a West Coast sports fan. Anybody West Coast sports fan? Uh, Especially with uh, with roots in the northwest corner of the left coast, I watch my sports with a chip on my shoulder. Anybody from the West Coast watch their sports with a chip on their shoulder? It's often be said that if Steve Largent or if Sean Kemp or even Edgar Martinez had played in more notable cities, uh, in more prominent time zones, that their legacies would have been greater than if they had just been athletes in Seattle. It took Edgar forever to get into Hall of Fame. He should have been a first ballot Hall of Famer. It took him forever to get there. But fans from the West Coast talk about the East Coast bias. There's an East Coast bias because everyone in New York City is asleep by the time any game concludes in Los Angeles. They're asleep. It's over. It's one in the morning. But even as a kid who grew up spending time in Philadelphia in the summers, because that's where my family was from, I struggled to grasp the realities of the East Coast bias fully. Until the fall of 2011, when I went to Times Square in New York City for the very first time at night. This idea about the East Coast bias was illumined for me in this place. Spending an evening in Times Square at night will make anybody forget, anyone in the world forget, that any other place in the world exists. Has anyone been to Times Square at night? You get there and you go, oh, 
I get why they're not thinking about the left coast right now. Because this is the center of the universe, and boy, does it feel that way. The lights and the crowds and the ads and the hype makes the consideration of others nearly impossible. And Times Square, I would suggest, is a remarkably accurate depiction of the human condition. When given the opportunity to consider ourselves exclusively, we will do it. It's part of the brokenness of Genesis chapter 3, the exaltation of self. When in Genesis chapter 1, God said, I want to make it diverse, and I want to make you a part of it, just not the middle of it. And we said, nope, we want the middle. And now we're fighting to get back to the edge every stinking day. These exclusive considerations will worm their way into our thinking, they'll worm their way into our speaking, They'll worm their way into our beliefs, our dietary practices, what we choose to entertain ourselves with will all be about me. I will be at the center. Facebook and Twitter and Snapchat and all these social media sites with streaming feeds know this and they develop algorithms to continue to feed to you exactly what it is that you believe and what you want to hear so that you'll keep looking through it. You don't actually see all the content from all the people that you're friends with. When you click on something that you like, it feeds you more of what you want. Because we want people around us that think like us and will say yes and amen. Amen? (laughs) We do it all the time. Agree with me, please. Because I'm not quite sure if my psyche can handle it if you disagree with me. That is something that we are helping a generation deal with like never before. The inability to disagree with one another without throwing fists or walking away. We have to find space to be different and be okay with different a little bit. As a strategist, I think about, because I like to strategize about things, I'm thinking about if I want to break down the foundations of sacred relationship, which we talked about last week, if I want to break down what God was trying to create in Genesis chapter 1, I would work overtime to get people to believe that fundamentally they are different than each other more than they are the same. That's what I would do. I would create a narrative that says, no, you're so different from each other that you shouldn't even talk to one another. That's what I would do. I would want to establish the vision, the creation of a story that says, I can't be with you because you're not like me. I would seek to distort the created purposes of diversity. And we can read this up here. Differences in God's kingdom, when understood correctly, will lend themselves towards completion, wholeness. Differences under the influence of sin lend themselves towards comparison and conflict. It's really important for us to remember that diversity and difference is a good thing. But when we put ourselves at the center of the story, it breaks down. The creation story breaks down into comparison and conflict very quickly from chapter 3, moving forward into chapter 12. In Genesis 4, Cain and Abel brought two different sacrifices to God. Cain compared his sacrifice to his brother's sacrifice and was overwhelmed with insecurity at the size of his sacrifice and as a coping behavior, murdered his brother. (laughs) I can think of better coping behaviors, but insecurity makes us do crazy things. 
Moving forward to Genesis 6, it records that as humans increased in number on the earth, it says in Genesis 6, 5 through 6, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination and thought of the human heart were only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he'd made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. Genesis 7 and 8, God commanded Noah to build an ark. Apart from Noah's family and two of each land-dwelling creatures, he wiped out every living creature on dry land. In Genesis 9, he made a covenant with Noah to never, ever do it again. Redemption, truth, and grace. In Genesis 12, as humanity increased in number again, sorry, in Genesis 11, it says the seeds of pride took root again. In 11 verse 4 it says, Come, let us build ourselves a city. These are the people building the Tower of Babel. Come, let us build ourselves a city for ourselves with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. And I'm thinking God's saying, but I gave you a name. Why you got to make one for yourself? I already gave you one. It was beautiful. It was different than the other ones. And all you want to do is compare it. Why don't you work together and complete what I've started? I gave you a name and you want your own. So God recognized the struggle of rugged individualism. And he came down and he confused their language and he scattered them. Because it really isn't about I can do it. It's not about you can do it. It's about we can do it together. That's how this thing comes together, and we arrive at Genesis 12. This whole narrative is building and then informs the entire rest of the story to the book of Revelation. In Genesis 12, God calls Abram. Abram is the the great to the eighth grandson of Shem, who is the son of Noah. So, great, 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 great grandson. Genesis in there also gives us the lineage to see how this came down the line from Noah to Abram. Eight generations. And Abram is placed by God at the center of God's renewed plan to reverse all the evils that were introduced in Genesis chapter 3. He said, I'm going to use you, sir, to undo all that's been done over so many generations already. He knew that disobedience would bring a curse, but that obedience through the life of Abraham would bring a blessing to all the people. So let's read together Genesis 12, 1 through 5. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all the people on the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went. As the Lord told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan. And they arrived there. We see two things here. We see a command, go, and a promise. And I will make you. Go and I will make you great. I will make your name great. I'll make your nation great. Everyone who does greatness to you, I will do greatness towards. And everyone who curses you, I will bless. Go and I will. 
That's the call of South Everett Foursquare Church. It's what he's telling us. Go. I'm working with Minta in the team. We're trying to figure out how to get City Life to work together with South Everett Foursquare and in conglomeration with the neighborhood and the schools. And I don't know what we're doing. We're just being faithful. Vaughn, right? We're just being faithful. Eating Chinese food on Tuesday night trying to figure out how to be faithful. How do we do this? Go and I will bless. God proposes to Abraham a great nation, a great name. It's important to recognize here that national implications are being made. I will make your nation great. We do this individually and then we do it with our countries. My country's the best. I want to be the best. I want to be number one. But the story continues and says, I'm not making Israel great in and of itself. I'm trying to make Israel great so that the world will be blessed. So get your eyes up off yourself and stop thinking that you're living in Times Square with an East Coast bias. There's a whole left coast over there, man. There's Edgar Martinez is out there, man. He's out there. We want to just think about what's going on with Derek Jeter and Babe Ruth and Luke Gehrig and... Patrick Ewing and New York. There's not too many rules around here. We don't wear Yankees hats in this building, so just. I want to set you apart, God says, not for the good of yourself, but for the good of the whole. But there was some privilege. There was some privilege, right? Abraham, Abram at this point was named Abraham when he was obedient. But Abram was getting privileged here. Go and I will. He didn't earn it. He's a got it. That's how I got some of my privilege. I didn't earn it. I just got it. At the same time, I can't be blamed for having it because I can't change it. But what will I do with it? That becomes the critical point in the discussion. With much privilege comes much responsibility. Not much vacation homes. Much more cars than I need. Not much that. Make sure some of that if you use it to bless other people. But with much privilege comes much responsibility. This has been the theme of the last four years of my life. Trying to figure out what on God's green earth to do with my white maleness that will be good for the neighborhood. Can't change that part. But when we go to equity training courses in rooms like this, I'll talk about that. You're all going to what's going on up there. When I go to equity training courses to figure out about the dimensions of equity and I sit with people and professors from Everett Community College in this room that isn't just like us, this is important. This came out on Friday. This was somebody's Twitter feed picture of a costume called White Privilege, right, with a crown on. A person of color wearing all white with a message that said privilege. I pay attention to stuff like this because there's pain here. There's real pain. And I can choose to get angry to be like, I can't help my privilege, and off I go. Or I can be like, hmm, someone's hurting. Somebody's hurting. Anyone else see that this week? That's worth taking a look at to say, what's going on under that? How can I listen to that and not be upset about it to see the whole picture? I'm trying to see the whole picture concerning diversity. What I got and what others don't have and how they feel about it and how we could reconcile. That. This is an invitation to see the perspective of all people 
to see the struggle of all people, to see the value in all people, to search for the richness of what every person can bring to the table. That's how I want to view pain like that. Because it it could just throw up walls really fast or I can lean in and say, what did God do when relationship, sacred relationship was, was under siege? He leaned in at all costs. He put his own thoughts down and said, how can I, what can I, I wish, I don't even know where that guy is, but I wish we could go to coffee so I could hear his story. Not tell him why it's inappropriate that he posted something. I think it's very appropriate he posted that. I think it's very appropriate that I listen. I think it's very appropriate that we grow together because that's the kingdom. So easy to get stuck on us. The problem is bigger than just us. Like I said, the problem has to do with the whole Western church. There's a great book that I'm reading right now called Confronting Christianity. And there's a chapter in there. The author, we'll read a quote from her from a minute. Rebecca McLaughlin is looking at all the challenging places in Christianity right now and asking the Christian faith. And she is a professed believer, baptized in the Holy Spirit, professor of Jesus. And she says, we can be more intellectually honest with ourselves. We can look at the places where the world is hung up and have uncomfortable conversations. But she says that the Western church has a crisis on its hand. And a crisis is nothing more than a dangerous opportunity. Remember that. If we're having a crisis, it's a dangerous opportunity. The two Chinese characters that come together to make the word crisis are the character danger and the character opportunity. Dangerous opportunity. So when I look at a crisis, I'm like, oh, something good's coming here if I lean into it. But we have a crisis on our hands. It's bigger than us. It's a Western cultural crisis. We live in a nation which I have great respect for. I have so much respect for this nation. I have so much respect for everyone who has sacrificed their life and given their time so that we could have the freedoms that we do because it's still a great nation. It's just one nation out of hundreds of nations. All under a bigger banner, a bigger flag, a bigger king named Jesus. How do we take the goodness of what we have and decentralize it? Not throw it off the board, just move it out of the middle and honor and respect everything that's been done for our country and is still done today, the wars that are being fought today for freedom all over the world. McLaughlin goes on to say that Christianity in our nation has been perceived as a white Western religion. And if we're honest with ourselves, we've done a pretty good job of painting the picture that way. And she says, there's solution, there's hope. We've made this choice to put ourselves at the middle. And as Jesus followers, we have followed suit of the larger cultural picture. We followed suit. And it has created some major ethical barriers for people considering our faith. This is what keeps me up at night. How can I introduce people to the loving Savior Jesus who changed my life with all these barriers going on? I will rip it all down but the gospel. Every tradition, every way of going about things so that we can communicate the full hope of the gospel. I will lean into uncomfortable conversations. To sit in an equity training class the other day with a bunch of peers in the community, I left hurting because of the things I'd realized that had been done unintentionally. So let's not throw blame around necessarily. Let's just do something different. I was really heartbroken. Because I'm like, oh no. We can do better than this. 
We rip it all down until we get to the core of the gospel and we see what Jesus did. What did he do? What is the hopeful response? Because this message is about to get really hopeful because there's a path out. We're in the mess, but there's a way out of it. What can our hopeful response be? A response that's grounded in conviction. This dangerous opportunity to be different and not to wallow in crippling shame from our past mistakes. There's a thing that that white people get. It's called white people guilt. And it's a real thing that's going on right now. Because we realize that there are things that white people have done to really hurt people of color. And it creates a lot of guilt. I would say that conviction is good. Shame is not good. Because shame moves you away from the conversation. People of color who are having this conversation well with white people are saying, let's just talk and stop yelling. There's a lot more good going on in that regard than bad. It's just the bad ends up on the CNN and the Fox News. There's a whole lot of people that are willing to engage this conversation right in the middle, Sarah included, on issues of diversity that are not related to skin color. We're having honest conversations with each other. And guess what? They're scary. Because what might you do if you say something? You could offend somebody. But at this table, we sat in a group right here the other day, and one of our rules for the conversation was that we might say offensive things unintentionally as we're grappling through these issues. And there was just safe space to say, you can totally say something offensive because we knew you didn't mean it. So you're trying to learn a dance and you stepped on each other's feet. So that created all sorts of freedom to say stuff and be like, so I've been wondering, can you help me with this? All that comes about. What can we learn from our past mistakes? What can we learn from those who've gone before us? Martin Luther King, Dr. King said, any church that stands against integration... And that has a segregated body is standing against the spirit and teachings of Jesus. (laughs) Rebecca McLaughlin, the author of Confronting Christianity, says, Read the New Testament and you will find that trying to marry biblical Christianity to white-centric nationalism is like trying to marry a cat to a mouse. One is designated to hunt the other, not mate with it. While Christianity has held a monopoly on Western culture, Western culture does not hold a monopoly on Christianity. Isn't that freeing? Isn't that hopeful? So what's our solution? The solution, one, is Jesus, the living word. We've investigated the pain recorded in Genesis. We've seen the hope and promise that God delivered through Abram. The solution is to kill the self-centered plague of me first. The solution, as Jesus demonstrated, is to create a pathway of celebration towards what we have in common. What we have in common is that we all bear the image of Jesus. We all bear the image of our Creator. Jesus saw the resting image of His Father on everyone. That's why He was able to do what He did in the Gospels. It was so offensive to people. All the things that he did was because he saw the image of God resting upon the people. He saw the image of God resting upon people who weren't Jewish, the Gentile people. He saw the image of God resting upon women, which broke down sexism, on children, which broke down ageism, with people with financial resource problems, classism. He just saw the image of God on everybody, and he engaged people with grace and with truth. He went to sinners 
He saw the image of God resting upon those who were suffering under the impact of mental illness. He just went to them. Upon political extremists, he saw the image of God resting upon their heads, upon the working class, upon those that were caught in the sex trade. He saw the image of God on every person. And he said, okay, that's a cancer and we need to take care of that. Go and sin no more. And people that he told not to sin anymore, so there's some truth in the equation. Those people ran off to their friends and said, come and see a man who spoke to me that told me about everything I ever did. So there's a way to communicate truth in the context of grace that brings people closer to the light. There's some truth involved, right? There's some truth involved in these things. Jesus did it. There's so much more we don't have time to get into because I want to invite some friends to talk about what God is doing all over the world. But the very earliest reference to the church was called the way in the book of Acts. We see in Matthew 28 that Jesus left his people with the instructions to go and spread the good news of the gospel with all people from all nations. In Acts chapter 2, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit And people began to speak in every language under heaven, which at the time included nations like Turkey, nations like Egypt, nations like Italy, Iran, and Iraq. These were real nations of people come and speak in these languages. He's a multi-ethnic God. One of the very first followers of Jesus was an African from Ethiopia. Like... (laughs) The gospel got to Africa way before the European settlers brought it there. Like thousands of years before, or at least a thousand. God is so multicultural, so multi-ethnic, and we need to hear stories. I'm going to invite my friends, uh, Grace and David, to come on up right now at this point. They have recently joined our congregation, uh, are living out at the YWAM base in Monroe, teaching the Bible to people. It's pretty awesome. Uh, They're going to tell us, I asked them if they would come and tell us a little bit about how they see the gospel expressed in other places that aren't here from perspectives that aren't mine. So, David, thank you for coming. Grace, thank you for coming. Feel free to have a seat. I'm just going to hand this over to you. You can sit wherever you feel like, wherever you're comfortable. Thank you so much for uh, inviting me here to share. Mm. Uh, when I heard that, you know, Pastor Chris shared the story, so I think you why should I share? And then just one word came to my heart, the incarnation. Just incarnation. So just let me share this, the, just read the verse. And the world became fresh. And they dwell among us. And we have seen the, his glory. Glory as the only son from the Father. Full of grace and truth. First time I came to America, I came here about 30 years ago. I learned many things about new culture here. I'm from originally from South Korea, and I began to learn how to drive. So I was scared to get into freeway, so I always go to the local. And one day I got brave. <laughs> okay, let's get into freeway. 
So I was going to pray, thank you to God. I don't know if God at the time, but thank God. No cars before me, no cars after me. So I'm slowly getting to the freeway. It was like a four-lane freeway. And one car, the outer lane, he's driving, so we kind of meet. And somehow this car get into inner lane. I was driving very slowly. <laughs> and he, I don't know he or she, but I don't even remember his face, but he said, Thank God. <laughs> I don't remember his face. I don't remember even she or he. I can still felt his kindness. Story years I still remember vividly. So, like Jesus, little kindness to somebody, it will open their heart. Second thing I want to show is... Um, when I get into new environment, whatever culture, whatever, I got scared. <laughs> I'm being afraid. So I'm slowly see how the people, you know, the conversation, try to become friend. But when I overcome that, then Especially after I become a missionary, I do not really want to teach them something. I want to learn from them first. I remember the first time, you know, I live in, uh, second time actually, in China. I'm learning the Chinese language, and I got to buy a cutting board. So I went to shop to buy a cutting board. Since I don't, have, I don't know, you know, cutting board, so I got the, the dictionary, Chinese dictionary figure out. The problem was there are four kinds of cutting board in the dictionary. <laughs> so I don't know how to, you know. So I tried to speak and my pronunciation is off. So she can't really understand what I say. It's finally okay. <laughs> oh, so she gave me the cutting board. I feel like I was becoming baby. Because I know in English, I know in my own language, but new culture, I know everything already, but I gotta rerun. I think that's the way I think Jesus come to my heart too. He know everything about me, but as much as I begin to understand about him, like here, you know? So, Chris, would you come here? <laughs> yeah. Obviously, I'm smaller than him, right? Right? And I level when you approach the other culture. Can you down here? If you look at like this, you never be able to see his heart, her heart, open to you. But like Jesus, he watched the you know his disciples feel right. Obviously, his body is slow than, you know, and so his eyes from down to see, oh. It feels better. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think this is really important. Just try to meet the idea, same level, or lower than that. So they, everybody has their own way of defense. 
themselves right, it will open their defense system. So it's simple. <laughs> Try to overcome your fear. You know why? Because Jesus said at the end of the chapter, the Matthew 28, 26, Behold, I am with you always. Yeah. To the end of the earth. Right? So wherever you are, Jesus is always beside you. So don't be afraid. <laughs> and after that, try to go a little lower than the eye level and learn. Just say hi, their culture, their religion, whatever. Then you will see God's hand upon the person. And you will see that person going to meet God in his way. By the way, it takes time. Not right away. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you don't, don't go very far. I'm going to have you pray for us here in a second. But yeah, have a seat. Have a seat but but I'll, I'm going to invite you back up here in a second. Wow, David, thank you. Grace, thank you. We're so, we're so honored that um, you're finding a space with us. And uh, it's, it's a beautiful thing, right? That the heart, my heart is to see that this community would, re, would reflect, this community would reflect our whole community. Uh, you know, it, it is to see, to see multi- Ethnic is really easy because this means putting people with, with different passports in the same room. Multicultural is hard because it, it requires us to give of ourselves, to give up some space, to give up some time. We celebrate the diversity that God has created us to live in, and it's hard, and we will pursue it. As, we, as you see these, these core values and these behaviors, I have a whole set for myself, and one of my core behaviors is I will do hard things. I remember that every day when it gets hard, that it's one of my core behaviors is to do hard things. And this is a group of people that's ready and is and will continue to do hard things. And we will do hard things together because nothing good, nothing great comes without a whole lot of hard in the way, right? So we're going to do hard things together, all right? Paul had to do some hard things for about seven weeks in a row, four of them in the rain, like get his mat out on the gravel under a trailer at Mill Creek Forest Course parking lot and jack up this trailer onto his truck and bring it here before anyone got out of bed in the morning to come on a Sunday. Hard things. Hard things. We do all sorts of hard things. Right? We do those things together. So here's a statement. I prayed about the statement concerning diversity this week, and we'll put it up there on the board. This is my declaration about this message. We live in a diverse city. This message, if you look on your notes, is called diverse city. Like diversity, it's a play on words. But we live in a diverse city. Jesus loves the city. Jesus loves the diversity of the city. Jesus loves those upon whom God's image rests. He calls us back to himself. He loves us in our brokenness. He gave us his life so that as we repent... As we change our minds about our self-centered tendencies, we are able to embrace the uniqueness of diverse cultural expression. That's what we're going to do. It won't be easy. I don't think it was easy for Abram. I mean, you think through that, so we wash through that story really quickly. But 
he was just minding his own business. 75-year-old dude, retirement plan, probably had his motorhome and, you know, going glamping and had it all set. And the Lord said, hey, guess what, buddy? Go. Where? Just go. And what? I'll bless you. Okay. He went. It wasn't easy for him. I can't imagine it was easy at Pentecost. You know, all these people speaking all these languages all at once. Let's invite the power of the Holy Spirit into our experiences as they relate to race, as they relate to ethnicity, as they relate to gender, as they relate to generations, socioeconomics, and life experiences. Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. Lord, we just, we just pause for a minute. David, I'm going to ask you to come back up because you're going to pray for us. But just pause. And where are we struggling? Where's the fear right now? Let's, as we talked about last week, there's homework assignments associated with this. This last week, we were supposed to go work on a relationship that was um, lacking uh, the sacred nature in which it was attended. I hope that we were able to do that this week. The challenge this week is to find out what, what, what we're afraid of. What are we afraid of and concerning different? Let's just ask the Lord, Holy Spirit, right now, come and show us, illumine for us where we are afraid of different. Where are we afraid, Lord? Where can we lean, as David has shared with us, with greater courage into that? So that we can echo the words of your scriptures revealed to the Apostle John on the island of Patmos in the book of Revelation, chapter 7, verse 9. John says, And after all this, seeing the tribes assembled from every nation, by the way, is the context. And after all this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne, before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. David, would you close us with a benediction prayer for the week? Heavenly Father, We don't even know how much you love us, but because your son's death on cross, we begin to grasp your love, God. So I ask you, Father, not only intellectually, not only emotionally, God, help us to experience fullness of your love in this congregation because you were saying perfect love cast out all the fears God Father and when we experience your love we, we cannot control ourselves but tell the people about you God not only with our own world our behavior our lifestyle, everything, we want to give it to you to let the people know about you, God. So, God, I ask you one more time, God, pour out 
your fullness of love in this congregation. By your love, people will know that we are your disciples. We are your children of God. Help us to know your love more, God. Thank you. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to a podcast from South Everett Foursquare Church. For more information about us, please visit us online at www.southeverett.org.